Sprite Castle. Sprite Castle. Sprite Castle. With Robo Hair. Sprite Castle. Hello and welcome to Sprite Castle, the show in which I play, discuss, and review Commodore 64 games. My name is Rob Flack O'Hara, and on this episode of Sprite Castle, I will be discussing Wizard of War. How many official versions of Wizard of War have been released for the Commodore 64? You'll find out the answer to that question by listening to this episode. But before we get started with this episode's game, let's check the Daily Sun for this week's Paperboy headlines. Welcome back to the first episode of 2022. The first thing I would like to announce or inform you is that we are going to be changing schedules a little bit this year. I'm still going to be doing four podcasts a month, or I should say four episodes a month, but it won't be like it was last year with two episodes of Sprite Castle and two episodes of You Don't Know Flack. I'm changing things up a bit. I'm introducing a couple... Well, I'm introducing one new show. I'm bringing back one old show, and I'm continuing the two shows that I'm doing now. Starting in January of 2022, towards the end of the first week, I was going to say Thursday, but today is Saturday, so we're off to a bad start. But my goal is by Thursday, possibly Friday, the first week of the month, I will be releasing a new episode of Sprite Castle. The second week of every month, I will be releasing an episode of You Don't Know Flack. On the third week of every month, I will be releasing episodes of a new podcast called Like a DOS. I am a old school DOS gamer. I grew up with an IBM PC. I had a PC before I had a Commodore 64. And I love playing old games for DOS. And so that's really a new library that I've wanted to dig into for quite a while. And sometimes when I want to do, you know, looking into old games, it makes me want to write about them or talk about them. And so that's what we're going to be doing the third week of each month is a new podcast called Like a DOS. Now, I don't have an RSS feed set up yet. You'll be able to find the episodes, of course, on podcast.robohair.com. It'll also be on iTunes. I'm just in the middle of doing all those behind-the-scene things and getting feeds and whatnot pushed through, but uh, it takes a little bit of time, but it will happen. But anyway, that show is going to be called Like a DOS, and you'll start hearing that the third week of every month. By the way, if you subscribe to, I have a master feed that is both on my website and on iTunes, and I believe it's called Robcasts, something like that. Uh, there's a link to it on Robcast uh, or on, gosh, on podcast.robohair.com. But uh, if you get that, you'll get all the podcasts that I record. And so you'll automatically start picking that up. If you subscribe to that just to get all the shows, you'll get that too. The fourth week of the month, I'm bringing back a podcast that I put on hiatus for several years called Cactus Flax. Now, Cactus Flax was a show that I did, and the goal of Cactus Flax was to go through every arcade game I owned alphabetically. Start at the beginning of the list, go to the end of the list, and that would be the end of the show. 
Unfortunately, I ended long before I got to the end of the list, <laughs> but we're going to correct that. We're going to fix that. We're going to write that ship. We're going to go back to that list and pick up where we left off. There's somewhere around a dozen episodes of Cactus Flax, and we're going to pick up right where we left off and continue doing that. So you will hear episodes of Cactus Flax the fourth week of every month. Again, these other shows are similar in structure to what I do here on Sprite Castle. It's all about talking about games, talking about the people that made them, talking about my memories, most of all, of playing those games. And so if you enjoy this, if you like DOS games, you might check out Like a DOS. And if you like arcade games and you just want to hear me talk about the games that I own and the stories about how I acquired them, how much I paid for them, how much I sold them for, what repairs I did to them, just everything that I have to say about those specific machines that I owned, then you will enjoy Cactus Flax. So anyway, that's the plan for 2022. I made it Patreon official. <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, and now I am telling all of my listeners. So there you go. That's what you can expect in the upcoming year. Another change that I've made is I've decided to stop recording video episodes of the podcast. Now, I was streaming once a week, and I will continue to stream once a week. Those game streams happen on Wednesday nights at 6 p.m. Central time so you can adjust accordingly you can go to twitch.tv forward slash rob o'hara you can uh, follow me on there and you'll get notified when i start streaming but to be honest with you there was just so little that i was gaining i think personally for me i listen to podcasts uh when i commute <laughs> remember when we commuted to jobs it's been almost two years now since i commuted to work but I listen to them when I walk. I listen to them sometimes when I'm doing other things. And I think a lot of other people and the feedback that I got was a lot of other people agree with me. And I know that there were a few of you out there who were watching the video episodes, but a lot of people who watched the video also were downloading and listening to the audio. So if you loved that, I'm sorry, but it's just too much work. It's too much grind to put all that out and do the double effort and to get, you know, 30, 40 views, something like that. And I think my audience is more uh, old school podcast, you know, listening type of, of listeners. That's a sentence that makes no sense. But I guess what I mean by that is a lot of shows that are looking for, I don't know. I see a lot of new uh, shows that come out that don't do audio podcasts at all. It's all video. And I think there's definitely, I, it's, who am I saying? There's a market for, I think this YouTube thing is going to catch on, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? I think uh, this show and my other shows work without the video elements. So, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to tie elements of these shows into my stream. So for example, on this week's stream, I played, several different versions of Wizard of War, which is what this episode is about. So if you like, you know, hearing about the games and then going and watching the video, there's still something there for you. It just won't be an exact one-to-one -one duplicate of this show. If you want to watch those game streams live, that's on Twitch TV forward slash Rob O'Hara. If you want to watch them afterwards, they are all posted uh, immediately or within a, an hour or so on YouTube on the Amigos Retro Gaming channel. And I have my own uh, channel on there, my own playlist called Sprite Castle Plays. And so you can just go right there and, and watch every one of those. So there's something there for everybody. 
Speaking of everybody, not everybody is a member of this group. Let's get to this week's King of the Castle. Now, we skipped the last episode because it was such a rush episode right before I went on vacation. But the last song that we did was for the game Popeye. And the 8-bit song that we played at the end of that episode was I'm on a Boat by the Lonely Island. If you're not familiar with the Lonely Island, then you're probably my age. (laughs) Maybe. Or older. Uh, But the Lonely Island is a trio of comedians that all have ties to Saturday Night Live. Uh, Andy Samberg is the most famous of the trio, and they've released uh, uh, several albums, and they've done lots of SNL skits and videos, uh, and lots of music videos. Uh, But The Lonely Island is kind of, uh, I would say most of their songs are R-rated or or pushing... uh, boundaries not not for kids but uh uh, i had to throw it out there with the popeye episode and so much of the game taking place on a boat that uh i'm on a boat just seemed appropriate so congratulations to steve sharippa steve sharippa was by far the first person to get the song and this is a tough song anytime you do a rap song the 8-bit versions that I'm able to find are mostly the drum beats with a, just a little bit of melody. So sometimes those can be really hard to guess. But Steve got it right out of the gate. We also had uh, successful VIP members, uh, Daniel Jaleppa and Stephen Deal, who's, or, sorry, Kevin Deal, who did a lot of detective work going around and, and trying to find different songs. And he did a lot of work to get that. And Sask Punisher was also able to guess that. So congratulations to those kings of the castle. And by the way, Sask Punisher also asked if I could give a shout-out to Ron Mosh Earl, who he said they they sometimes work together on guessing the songs, and that's great. And Sask Punisher brought Ron Mosh Earl along to the VIP room. So, hey, Ron, I got something for you. Why don't you just stand right over here? Just stand on this little square right here on the bridge. And meet my pet alligators. You don't bring a plus one to the king of the castle, the VIP room. What are you trying to do over there, Sass Punisher? I had to drop you into the alligator pit, but, you know, you got the song. So (laughs) he's already through. But uh, let that be a lesson to the rest of you. Better not try to bring no plus ones into the VIP room, or you will also get to meet my... uh, collection of alligators that I keep in the pit outside the Sprite Castle. So sorry you had to meet them face-to-face, Mosh, but that's what you get for trying to sneak into the King of the Castle VIP room. Everybody else, I hope you have a great time. We have some (laughs) uh, spinach ravioli in there and spinach drinks and uh, just everything green. So the snacks have been laid out. Uh, It's a pretty small and quiet group in there. I I just kind of sounds like a martini lounge. Everybody's relaxed and having a good time. So uh, I am moving where the 8-bit song appears. I hate to tell you where it is because I liked... Uh, in the old days, I would hide it in the episode somewhere. I moved it around, and then I kind of got used to putting it in the same place. But I will be putting it at the end of the episode over the list of Patreon supporters. So you'll be able to find that at the very end of the episode. If you would like to take a stab at becoming the next episode's King of the Castle, all you have to do is listen for that 8-bit song that will appear somewhere. Well, it won't be somewhere. It will be exactly... <laughs> 
at the end of the episode. It will not be directly from the game that I reviewed, but the something will have a relationship with that game. It could be the title. It could be a very uh, obvious connection. It could be a pretty obscure connection. So you never know what it's going to be. But all you got to do is send an email to me at robohara at robohara.com. Put King of the Castle in the subject line just so I can find it. And so Google won't uh, throw your email away into my dreaded, uh, the uh, the spam my spam folder is also guarded by the alligator. So uh, things that go in there don't, don't tend to come out. But uh, if you put King of the Castle in the subject line, it will always get through and you will get a personal invite and a digital key that will allow you access into the King of the Castle VIP room. So congratulations again to all of this episode's Kings of the Castle. We have a lot of news this week, but I'm going to run through it faster than I have ever run through the news. The Yesterday was the 40th anniversary of the Commodore 64. This was the day, yesterday was the day that the Commodore 64 was first introduced at a computer show. I expect we'll be seeing lots of stuff this year. Uh, you know, some people, we got to celebrate the day, of course, the 40th anniversary, but this year is the 40th anniversary year. So I expect we'll see a lot of Commodore 64 related things in the news this year. That's what I hope for. Also, I mentioned we went on vacation. My family and I took a cruise, which between the time we paid for the cruise and when, when we paid for the cruise seemed like a pretty good idea. COVID numbers were uh, going down, <laughs> trending down. And then we got on a cruise and left and the numbers skyrocketed. <laughs> and all of a sudden cruise ships were not being allowed into ports. And suddenly it seemed like a very bad idea. <laughs> so we crossed our fingers and fortunately everything went fine, but I was kind of out of the loop. And when I came back, I just saw a barrage of Commodore 64 games that were released the week of Christmas. So I wrote down a few of them here, and I haven't got to try any. Well, I've tried one of these, but uh, Sequest was one that I saw, and that's another Atari 2600 game that has been ported to the Commodore 64. Snow Force was a Xmas, an Xmas, that's what I have here in my notes. It's a Christmas themed shoot 'em up by Sarah Jane Avery. There's also a new version of Scramble the helicopter game for the Commodore 64. This is Scramble Infinity. I also saw Pillars, and I've downloaded most of these. I just haven't played them yet. Pillars is a new column-style game. If you like columns, those matching-type uh, games, then Pillars might be the game for you. And most importantly, and this is the one I have tried, Sonic the Hedgehog. How amazing is this? Uh, this is a game that I never thought I would see on the Commodore 64. I was blown away a couple of years ago when we got the Super Mario Brothers release on the Commodore 64. And I remember people saying, well, you can have that, but you'll never have Sonic. Well, now we have Sonic the Hedgehog. It does require the REU memory module, but if you have... Uh, basically, any emulator can also emulate that RAM expander. So if you use an emulator on your PC, if you use the Mr., I believe the C64 Mini and Maxi, will emulate the uh, REU as long as the, or as well as the, uh, the C64, the ultimate C64. So pretty much everything except for a physical C64 with no enhancements will probably be able to play this Sonic game. And man, is it good. It's just really amazing to see how far developers can push 
the Commodore 64. If you got the original release, there have been a couple of updates, and I saw version 1.2 is out. I get a lot of these games from the Commodore Scene database, uh, which is... Uh, csdb had to walk through that dot dk and if you go there and search for games you'll find basically everything that's out there it's a lot like game base 64 but there's multiple releases uh, so if you want the latest version of sonic the hedgehog but you want the cheats or things like that built into it that's the place to go grab that so uh man so many great releases what a great christmas what a great year it's been for the commodore 64 I'm so excited to try out all of these new games and, and continue to play new games and old games. Just a, a great, boy, did we pick the right horse <laughs> to back in the 8-bit computer scene. I love the Commodore 64. Speaking of great games, Indie Retro News announced their 2021 Games of the Year list. There was voting, there was excitement, there was talk of cheating and people trying to cheat the voting process. Lots of drama, but... At the end of the day, Briley Witch Chronicles, which I have not reviewed, but I have streamed and played before, won Commodore 64 Game of the Year. I completely agree with the voting, and I completely agree with uh, Briley Witch Chronicles winning first place. Not only is it a amazing game, I mean, it's, it's super deep as far as I mean, just the amount of content in the game, but it's a perfectly implemented game style of game that we just didn't see that much on the Commodore 64. We saw these uh, JRPGs on Nintendo. We saw them on other console type games, but we didn't see a lot of games that looked and played this good on the Commodore 64. I know that she sells this game. I bought this game. I encourage other people to pay for this game, but I could see later on down the line her selling the engine. If there's a a way for people to make their own games using the engine that she's developed. And I know that she's working on a sequel to the game. So absolutely. Uh, it is an amazing game. It is definitely one of those games that elevates uh, the system itself. You know, it's not just another shoot 'em up or another platform game. And I mean, you can make a great platform game, but you're building on all the platform games in the past, but this is just something that, really blew me out of the water and a lot of people. It's a, a fantastic game and a fantastic game engine that she's developed. So congratulations uh, to uh, Miss Avery and congratulations to the Briley Witch Chronicles for winning 2021 Game of the Year. Now, speaking of new games, this is not a Commodore 64 game, but my friend Rob Sherwin, who is a friend of the show, a personal friend of mine for, gosh, many, many years, well over a decade, uh, released his latest game, which is a text adventure. Um, I guess you'd call it a graphical text adventure. It is a text adventure, but it has pictures to show you locations and characters. It is called Jay Schilling's Edge of Chaos, and it is on Steam right now. Now, I mentioned this for two reasons. One, because Rob's my friend, and I want to mention that his new text, you know, text adventures, uh, not for the Commodore 64, they're simple because we get the D64 file or a program file and you run it and there's no problem. But old PC-based text adventures can be a pain in the butt to get working. Uh, you know, you have to set things up in DOS box or whatever. I mean, you can't just run them on your PC anymore. You have to configure certain things. So it can be difficult to get those old games to run. But 
what he's done is developed an engine that can be distributed through Steam. And so you can get this game on Steam and then it just installs and there's no problem getting anything to run. It runs perfect. And I believe it is, there are versions for Linux and for the Mac and for the PC. Now, to tie into that, what I'm asking of you as listeners is to send me your favorite, either uh, your favorite text adventure that you've ever played. This can be something from 1980. This could be something from 2021. Doesn't matter. Uh, but I would like to know what your favorite text adventure game, if you played text adventures, and any text adventure memories that you have. And why would I be asking for this information? Well, for two things. Number one, next month, I'm going to be reviewing a Commodore 64 text adventure. I'm not sure which one yet. There's some that I've beat. There's some that I haven't. But uh, So I'm not sure what I'll be going back and looking at. But uh, we will be doing a text adventure next month. The other thing is Rob Sherman has shared with me a code, a free download code on Steam for his game. So I will be randomly selecting one of the listeners, whoever sends me their submissions in. I'll put all those names in a hat. I will pull one of the names out of the hat. And by hat, I mean randomized list on Excel. And that person will win a free download code to get Rob Sherman's latest game, which again is Jay Schilling's Edge of Chaos, which by the way, I did play and I beat. It's a uh, detective noir type game. But if you know Rob Sherwin, he has a uh, very edgy and kind of dry sense of humor. Some of the jokes literally just had me laughing. My wife came in and was like, what are you, are you watching YouTube? I'm like, no, I'm playing this text adventure, but I just laughed so hard during the game. So, uh, anyway, you want to send me your favorite text game or your favorite text game memories or both, of course. And I'm going to be putting some of that stuff into next month's episode and I will be giving away a download code to Rob Sherman's game. So, all right, that's enough about text games. Uh, finally, I just wanted to throw this out. This isn't really news, but next to me, I have a stack of three boxes that arrived all on different days. One is a brand new microphone. One is a brand new audio interface and one is a brand new mixing board. Now, the reason I mention that is because all of those things came directly from Patreon donations, uh, Patreon funds, however you want to say that. Uh, I, I always try to reiterate the fact that most of the money that comes in through Patreon, I try to reinvest directly into the show. And I've been talking with Sean, my partner on throwback reviews, and we've been trying to get this microphone and the setup in this room to sound better. And there's just certain limitations that I have. There's just an echo that's always going to be here. There's a hollowness that's always going to be here. It's just because I talk loud. I've tried, uh, you know, sound panels. I've tried soundproofing. I've tried moving things around. Uh, other than just building a giant, you know, box for my head and, uh, you know, or, or something on a plywood or whatever, it's just, just not going to get better. And so he has been showing me different microphones that might work better and different audio interfaces and things like that. And so that's what I've purchased. And I just wanted to share that. Now, obviously, again, you're not going to hear a difference on this episode because everything arrived over multiple days and, the equalizer or the, the uh, mixing board, which is the last thing I've been waiting for, just showed up yesterday. So I haven't had time to unbox everything, hook it all up. But that is my goal, hopefully, between now and, and you don't know flat next week. Definitely, definitely, I will do that. But 
uh, I'm, I'm really excited about it, but I just wanted to share that with you that when people go, Oh gosh, you know, I'm, I don't really want to sign up because you know, it's just a, a few bucks a month or whatever. Well, those few bucks a month, uh, add up. And then after a month or two, they add up to where I can upgrade equipment and, and put out better sounding shows. So, uh, you know, I just wanted to let people know that that's, that's what happens to the money. So I'm really excited, uh, in 2022 about upgrading the sound. And one of the other things, um, you know, one of my listeners, uh, has been, um, gently, I, I say this totally, totally positive, but gently prodding me over the years, uh, whether or not I'm ever going to do audio versions of my books. And I've really, really wanted to, but every time I sit down, I record, I try to edit, I do things. I just can't get the sound that I want. I've tried everything from moving all my equipment into the closet to, uh, you know, literally making tents with quilts and things like that, which is not really practical if you're going to record, you know, things that are going to take a month at a time. So, uh, I think this new setup is going to allow me to do that. So I'm super excited about that. I'm super excited about 2022 going into the new year and all the cool stuff we have planned. So I hope that you've enjoyed listening to the shows in the past. I hope you enjoy listening to the shows with the future. This is enough of me rambling. Let's move things forward. If you have feedback about this or any episode of the show, you can always email me directly at Rob O'Hara at robohara.com. Join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Robcast. Follow me on Twitter at Commodore. Come chat with me on the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord or leave a message on the podcast hotline, which is 405-486-YDKF. I should have said if you want to submit your tech stuff through the hotline, that's fine. Just keep in mind that the hotline uh, has a limit of three minutes per voice message, and that's Google's limitation, not mine. So you want to keep it under three minutes, or if you want to leave three messages in a row, that's fine with me. Also, if you want to support my shows, visit Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara. All my patrons get access to behind-the-scenes blog posts, weekly videos, access to the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server, and other additional perks. To find out more, visit the page. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara. By the way, this week's Rando Rob... Sometimes those videos go a little sideways where I show off a random item in my collection, but I talked a little bit about this trivia game that I've owned, and somehow I've came up with two copies of the trivia game over the year, one for the Apple, one for the C64. Uh, I think it was pretty fun. So uh, those are uh, fun videos, and that's a bonus that you only get uh, through Patreon. So anyway, those are this week's headlines brought to you by my local paperboy who just crashed his bicycle into the side of my wife's car. I can't believe I did that. Now that we've covered this week's news, let's quickly discuss this week's snack. Crack, crack, crack the egg into the bowl. Crack, crack, crack the egg into the bowl. Talking snack. This week's snack is not really a snack, it's a drink. And you may find it odd, but it is a bottle of Michelob Ultra. Which I'm going to tell you right up front, not my favorite beer. But there's a reason that I've had a couple of Michelob Ultras over the past week. Uh, and that is because shortly before our cruise, when I went to, uh, uh, I went and had my yearly or bi yearly, whatever it is, uh, a checkup, I had blood work done. And the doctor said, Ooh, you see this A1C number? This is not good. Your A1C number. 
was well below the line where we there's a, a three areas on the old A1C meter. If you're not familiar, the ones on the left say no chance of having diabetes. The middle chance, the middle area. There's this little wave that says. This is the danger area. And I said, oh, I want to stay out of that. And he said, well, you're past the danger area. Uh, my A1C has gone up almost four points, uh, which is not good. And it's and over two years. And the doctor basically told me the reasons why that is. And that is by, uh, you know, not moving. That's, a, you know. He says, what do you do? I said, well, I've worked from home for the past two years. And he says, yes, I'm getting a ton of that. I'm getting a ton of people that are all of a sudden having uh, bad numbers on their yearly physicals because of that. And uh, so I got the riot act (laughs) Uh, read to me by the doctor. And then I got it again read to me by my wife, who loves me dearly and only wants the best for me. Uh, now I, I have to fess up on one thing, uh, and I think I've admitted this in the past, but I don't always eat everything that I mention on talking snack. (laughs) I've had concerned listeners email me and say, gosh, you list a lot of bad stuff on talking snack. I'm worried. And I have to fess up and say, well, you know, all those treats and desserts and stuff. I don't, uh, always eat sometimes. Uh, and of course, you know, sometimes talking snack is about old memories of, of, uh, foods that are related to gaming and, and computing and things like that, or things that are, you know, related to the game. But, uh, one of the things I do every week is I, after work one day a week, I, I go out with a friend of mine and we go have dinner and we have a few drinks and, and, uh, you know, the doctor has said, you might want to start looking at carbs. And by might, uh, like it's underlined <laughs> with a red marker. And uh, long story short, I've been given a number of carbs I should be having per meal, which is basically uh, a lot of times we drink Tecates, uh And it looks like about one and a half Tecates is <laughs> what I should be drinking. And we drink more than that. But Michelob Ultra has about two carbs for bottles. Uh, and I think I'm supposed to have like... 37, 38 carbs per meal. Uh, that's not to say that I'm drinking a case of Michelob Ultra every day, but, uh, for new year's Eve, you know, normally we have a lot of, uh, alcohol. I mean, we don't leave the house, but you know, we'll have some grown up beverages or we'll have some drinks or whatever. And this year for new year's Eve, I had a couple of Michelob Ultras and the bottles are still sitting here. Again, this is not a commercial for Michelob Ultra and I'm not particularly a fan of Michelob Ultra, but, it's the difference between that and uh, no beer. So, you know, as as things move forward, I've got to do some more learning. I've got to do some, I was going to say soul searching, but there's really nothing uh, in me at this point that's like, well, maybe I'll keep doing what I've been doing. That That's uh, based on the blood work I got back. That's not working. <laughs> so, uh, you know, moving forward with some, some, uh, Lower carbs, uh, we've, I, you know, we've cut a lot of stuff out of the diet. I, I have to go back, you know, for 90 days from that first test and take another test uh, and see how the, the medication is working and how the diet and the exercise stuff is affecting those numbers. And so my goal is to get it out of that red zone and at least back to the middle zone in 90 days and then, you know, take another look at stuff. But that's my immediate goal. So 
there's some things that I, I won't be eating. Maybe I will talk, I'll be a little bit more transparent on talking snack and I will say, you know, I will mention things, but I, I won't always, uh, you know, sometimes I do eat them, but I, maybe I won't eat them. Maybe I'll just mention them as, as snacks or whatever. So, uh, I mean, I'm not talking snacks, not going to be a salad every month. <laughs> I'm not doing that, but, uh, uh, so healthier choices, are in my future for 2022 and uh uh so like i said for instead of uh making some bad choices on new year's eve we had a couple of Michelob ultras we toasted with that and the, one of the bottles is still sitting here so here is a toast to uh belt you know being a little bit healthier and making some better choices in 2022 that's my goal right now so all about healthy choices and let me tell you one healthy choice or on uh one and un- that's a hard word to say unhealthy <laughs> one unhealthy choice is getting into the ring with the wizard of war how bad is it that i blew the entire line hey we're moving on wizard of war was published for the commodore 64 in 1982 by commodore business machines incorporated it is a game for one or two players that uses joystick controls now Uh, It's very interesting that this game was actually published by Commodore Business Machines. When I was a kid, I used to see CBM on things, and I didn't know what it stood for. I was like, Commodore, it's got to be Commodore, but Commodore Business Machines, obviously. A lot of those early games you may recognize, they have these blue and gray boxes. The top half of the box is blue. The bottom half is gray. There's a bunch of horizontal lines across the top half of the box. Uh, Commodore published a lot of early games. They published Jupiter Lander, Seawolf, Omega Race, Gorf, Night Driver, Kick, Satan's Hollow. They also produced a lot of early text adventures. They did the original Adventureland. They uh, produced Zork, all the Zork games, actually, one through three. A lot of the Infocom games they produced. They did Hitchhiker's Guide, Suspect, Planetfall. Uh, So they published a lot of games, but... Only early on in the Commodore life, I think from 82, 83 to about 85 is the biggest era of uh, CBM published games. Now, the arcade game, which was released by Bally Midway, um, was uh, developed the credits go to Nutting and Associates, which was founded by Dave Nutting, who was born in December of 1930 and died in September of 2020. Uh, Dave Nutting got his electronics training, or he cut his electronics teeth in the uh, Army Corps of Engineers. And uh, after he left that, one of the first things he did was he designed this electronic IQ computer, That was in 1967. It was this handheld kind of thing that supposedly would uh, give you an IQ score. He is credited with coming up with the first microprocessor pinball design, which was used by Bally and then bought by Bally Midway. And so around that time, this is the very early 70s, he formed Nutting Associates. So this was his company. His brother joined him, and these guys did a lot of electronic development, uh, sometimes for other companies. And in 1971, in fact, they teamed up with Nolan Bushnell to produce uh, Computer Space, 
that first arcade game that everybody's seen with the the sparkly green fiberglass or you know any of the colors that you've seen uh anytime you see a, a computer space machine whether it's working or not is always special uh they produce gunfight they did sea wolf they did wizard of war and gorf they also did baby pac-man which i thought was pretty interesting which makes sense uh since they had a relationship both with bally midway and, and pinball so they worked on a lot of interesting arcade games. Uh, Dave Nutting, the guy that we're talking about here, published two books. One was called Language of Nature, Quantum World Revealed in 2005. And he released a second book in 2012 called Secrets of a Creative Mind. So super interesting guy. Now, this version for the Commodore 64 was programmed by Jeff Brute. Uh, Jeff also did the Gorf port, and he did a game called Mindbenders, and he also worked on graphics for International Tennis, which was also a CBM production. Wizard of War is a top-down maze game where one or two players must clear each level of monsters and eventually face the Wizard of War himself. Now, we talked a little bit about what the box looks like. The front of the box is that blue and gray design that all the Commodore or CBM games use that has a bunch of horizontal lines on the top. It says Wizard of War, a special home version of the Bally Midway arcade game. And then you have the Commodore 64 logo, the C64 logo, which is the badge that appears on the C64, that little silver kind of oval-shaped badge. There is a killer drawing of the Wizard of War. This is not the same wizard that appears on the side art of the arcade version. This is... They, 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 um, they made it their own. <laughs> I'll say that. In this version, he's wearing a purple robe. There are stars all over it. There's lightning coming out of his fingers. He's a pretty killer-looking Wizard of War. I will give them that. Uh, to the right, there is a much smaller warrior. We'll talk about the spelling of warrior soon. With uh, a gun, he's got his laser blaster in hand that he's pointing at the wizard. And then there are a couple of monsters in the background. It seems to be taking place on some other planet in outer space. I thought maybe it was the moon or something, but perhaps it is war. <laughs> maybe war, W-O-R, is the planet. So then down at the bottom, you have the Commodore uh, name and logo a second time. And a in the bottom right-hand corner, there is a picture of a joystick, and it says joystick required. Now, this was really important in those early games because a lot of other home computers did not either didn't have joysticks or joysticks weren't cheap. You know, the Commodore 64, by having those DB9 connectors, which are, you know, a blessing and a curse, uh, they're a curse because they're limited to the one fire button, which is one of the biggest Achilles heels of the Commodore 64. But everybody had Atari, 60, or, uh, Atari 2600 joysticks in a junk drawer under their TV or in a closet. And so you could always find Atari 2600 joysticks 
to use on your Commodore 64. So that part of it uh, was was great. Whereas, you know, on like an Apple II, you had to buy an Apple II joystick. They weren't cheap, and they didn't feel like an Atari joystick. And the the uh, joystick we had for our Apple II was in a metal box with buttons that had springs underneath it. You could see and look like, you know, something that was made in a machine shop. So, you know, these joysticks uh, uh, on the Commodore 64 were much more available and much more inexpensive. So, but it was kind of that selling point that they would tell people, hey, not only does this allow you to play with a joystick, but a joystick's required. So, the back of the box has multiple screenshots from the game, and then each screenshot has a couple of lines that kind of push uh, one of the features of the game, for example, the one, the first one says one or two players. And then there are a few lines about that. One says invisible maze. And it talks about how the maze can appear and disappear throughout the game. Then there's a picture that says you have to face the super speed warlock, which is one of the creatures in the maze. And then finally, the last picture, it says here he is the wizard. Can you beat him? And so that sells the idea that eventually you will have to face the wizard himself, the wizard of war. I looked through the manual. There's uh, lots of interesting things. There's interesting things. Uh, uh, all the scores for each creature are listed. There's some other things. But I thought this was very interesting. Uh, wizard of War was originally released as a cartridge. I believe the only official release was through a cartridge. Well, later, I, there are cassette versions. But um, in the manual... It seems like they justify <laughs> the reason why it is on a cartridge. And it says this program, Wizard of War, is designed in cartridge form for some very important reasons. The cartridge format brings you easy loading, program protection from accidental erasure, and long-term reliability. But most important, it means that you're getting a quality-controlled, pre-tested program that should work first time, every time. So that's some interesting um, points to make about cartridge games. It says, number one, it brings you easy loading. Well, you know, in the early days of the Commodore 64, I suppose that the load commands could have been off-putting. They were not, you know, load, you know, quote, asterisk, quote, comma, eight, comma, one. It doesn't roll off the tongue. So uh, being able to turn your Commodore off, insert a cartridge, and turn it on. It is simpler, so I will give them that. That is easy loading. Program protection from accidental erasure. There are a lot of things that can erase a disk. You can manually damage or delete a file, or you could put the file in a windowsill, or you could, as the old uh, wives' tale went, you could attach it to your monitor with a magnet. <laughs> Uh, or put it on top of a microwave, or touch it, or lick it, or all sorts of things are not good for floppy disks. So uh, that's a, another interesting point, is that it does protect it from accidental erasure. And then it says long-term reliability. I have a Wizard of War cartridge. It says copyright 1982. I tested it this week. I plugged it into my SX64, turned it on, it runs great. So I will give them that. That cartridge is 40 years old at this point. still works. So long-term uh, reliability, plus one on that. And then it says you're getting a quality-controlled, pre-tested program that should work first time every time. I'm not really sure what that's referring to 
like discs wearing out over time. It says that it's pre-tested. I don't know why a cartridge would be easier to pre-test than a floppy disk version. So I'm not really sure what point they're making there, but I will say everything else that they said is true. It is easy to play the cartridge version. Uh, they last forever. Um, yeah, I mean, I've stored, I've stored mine in a hot attic and a cold garage and now it's in a drawer in my computer room and it works as good as the day I got it. So I do like to talk about loading screens on games, but there are no loading screens, not in the official version, because this is a cartridge. There are some re-releases later that added additional artwork and those are really cool, but the original version is a cartridge. So you put it in, the game pops up to the menu screen, which starts off with the high score table. It shows the list of high scores, press fire to begin. Uh, there are no initials on this version, uh, which I believe is accurate to the arcade game. And I have to double check that. I shouldn't have said that. I should not have let that come out of my mouth. Um, but uh, it keeps track of the scores, but not your initials. Now, what's interesting about this game to me especially when you play really, really early releases, is that there weren't standards yet. And I don't mean standards of quality. I mean, there are things that we assume when we play a game. Um, what's a good example? Well, like a, a, a shoot-em-up. If I say horizontal shoot-em-up, you probably don't think of the ship as being at the top of the screen shooting down at things. You think being at the bottom shooting up. And that's something that over time, uh, that's just what we assume. You know, if you're playing a beat-em-up style game, you kind of assume like Double Dragon or uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or any of those things that you are going to be moving from left to right. If you move from right to left, it feels uh, awkward. It feels not, you know, uh, just doesn't feel right for some reason, you know. And so anyway, I mentioned that. Uh, to say that the player in joystick port one is on the right-hand side of the screen and the player in joystick port two starts on the left-hand side of the screen. That is counterintuitive to what we are used to in playing video games. We're used to player one being on the left, player two being on the right. So it's a little bit odd that that standard hadn't, I guess, been standardized. That's another terrible sentence. <laughs> Can you tell I haven't podcasted in a month? I am uh, tongue-twied. Twi tongue I'm tongue-twied. Oh, my gosh. Uh, when the game starts, you start the game by pressing the fire button. If you press it on joystick one, you will start a one-player game. And if you start it on joystick two, you will start a two-player game. When the game starts, you will immediately see the maze. And the maze is drawn in blue. There's a passageway similar to the uh, tunnel on Pac-Man that moves you from the left-hand side to the right-hand side. Uh, it's uh, interesting that when you go through the uh, passageway, it closes off for about 10 seconds. So if, you, if you're following someone or a monster is chasing you and you go through, it will shut off. The monsters can use the passageway as well. Uh, again, we've got player one. He is the yellow warrior on the right, and player two is the blue warrior on the left. I suppose this is as good of time as any to mention the spelling of warrior. It is W-O-R-R-I-O-R. -R -R. Wizard of War. War is spelled W-O-R, and so anything in this game that should be W-A-R is W-O-R. Um, I doubt that they... I don't know why they did that. Maybe just a 
differentiate it between, uh, you know, the word war, but it, it does, it makes it unique. So, uh, but anyway, so you have warriors, W O R R I O R. It's almost like they're worried. They're worried about getting killed <laughs> by the wizard of war. They should be, because that's what usually happens to me. Now, at the bottom of the screen, we've got this radar, and the radar shows all the monsters that are in the maze, and the monsters are all different colors, and so they have a little square in the radar that corresponds to the color of the monster. The most common one is the Burr War, which is a blue wolf-type creature. Next is the Gar War, which is a yellow dinosaur-type creature. Then there's the Thor War, uh, again, all these are W-O-R, which is a scorpion-like creature. He's red. Then there's the Warluck, which is a insectoid, it says, like creature. I always thought this was a moth. And whenever he shows up, I always scream that it's the Mothman. Uh, and finally, there is the Wizard of War, who looks like a little wizard. He is blue, and he's very, very fast. Uh, when you see the Wizard of War, you will know it. Um... So the blue monsters, it's easier to call them by their colors, the blue, yellow, and red. Uh, the blue ones are the most common, and every level starts off with six of those. Uh, the Gore Wars and Thor Wars, which are the red and yellow ones, can uh, turn invisible. So they will disappear from the maze, but they will always show in the radar. So you have to learn to watch both the radar and the maze ahead of you. There are no more than six enemies on the screen at any given time. Now, this is very convenient for the Commodore 64 hardware because we can draw eight sprites at a time. And so to have six monsters and two warriors, very convenient uh, for our little system. Now, there's an explanation. Sometimes, I mean, when you, when you kill certain kinds of monsters, other monsters appear. It's a little complicated, and so I've cut and pasted this paragraph directly from Wikipedia. So this is from the Wikipedia article about Wizard of War. Each dungeon starts filled with six Burr Wars, and the first dungeon killing the last Burr War will make a Gar War appear. In the second level, the last two Burr Wars are replaced by Gar Wars when killed, and so on. From the sixth dungeon on, a Gar War will replace, will replace every Burr War when killed. On every screen, killing a Gar War causes a Thor War to appear. There will never be more than six enemies on the screen at a time. From the second dungeon on, after the last Thor War is killed, a Warluck will appear and try to escape through one of the side doors. That's the Mothman. Uh, the level ends when the Warluck either escapes or is killed. And if you kill it, then all point values for the next dungeon are doubled. So it's a little confusing, and frankly, you don't have to understand it <laughs> to, to play the game. But the gist of it is, is that as you proceed through the game, as you kill multiples of the lower monsters, they become, or they respawn as a higher monster. And when you kill those higher monsters, they will respawn as a monster that's higher than that. And each monster, um, at the beginning, they're all slow, but they, they, the longer you're in the maze, the more the monsters uh, speed up. And so the longer you're in there, the faster things go until it gets to a point where uh, you you can almost not not maneuver. You just have to stand in one place and shoot and hope that uh, <laughs> that you're lucky and you get a, a shot off as he's coming down a hallway towards you. Uh, the controls 
of this game are pretty simple. You use a four-way joystick. Uh, you move up, down, left, right, and the button shoots. That's basically it. Now, the controls as you turn... And I think the, the real version, the arcade version, is the same way. But what ends up happening a lot is... If you're right next to a wall, like if you're, gosh, how to explain this? Once you start down a hallway, if you press left or right, it's still going to keep moving you forward. Automatically, it will move you forward. It won't. You have, if you're going up and you want to go down, you have to pull down. If you hit left or right, you're going to keep going up, which sounds intuitive, I suppose. But what happens is if you're standing on a corner and you're like trying to shoot to the left and trying to shoot down. Let's say you're in the upper right-hand corner of the maze. So you're trying to shoot left and you're trying to shoot down. If you go over one pixel to the left and then you pull down, it's not going to go down. It's going to keep moving you left until you get to the next available hallway to move down. So what invariably ends up happening when the monsters speed up is you move to a corner and you're ready whichever way a monster is coming at you. And... uh then when they come, you try to turn, but instead you end up walking forward. So you don't turn, they kill you in the back, and that's that. So it, it's a take some getting used to. You have to play a little while and get used to the way that the guys move. Once you do it, once you get it, it's pretty simple. But th- there's just a weird movement thing that happens. Um, there are a couple of keyboard controls. Run stop will pause the game, and restore will reset the game, but keep all your high scores. So it just resets back to the main menu, but will keep all the high scores. Now, of course, since this is a cartridge version, it doesn't save any of your high scores. There have been releases, again, on Commodore Scene Database. There are other places to find these where uh, they've been updated for the disc version, and they will save your high score. And they've also been updated to include your initials as well, which is a, a great upgrade. So, I played a lot of Wizard of War and the Commodore 64 this week. My strategy advice to you, number one, you have to watch the radar. Again, as as the levels move forward and you get more of the yellow and green bad guy or yellow and uh, red bad guys, they disappear. So, you got to watch the radar and see where they are because they will disappear and sneak up right behind you and appear. Um. This is a one or two player game. You can play it by yourself and it's a good game. If you play with another friend, it's a great game. And like every two player game, and I'll talk about this in my personal memories, but you can either decide, you can do one of three things. You can agree to work together. Say one of you stays in the bottom half, one stays at the top half. You can declare all out war and just say, hey, the other guy is fair game. Or you could do what I like to do, which is make the truce and then accidentally shoot the other guy and make it seem like it's an accident, uh, which you could only pull off once or twice before they figure out what you're doing. And then you have uh, inadvertently, perhaps, declared all out war on your friend. Um, so, you know, if you shoot the other guy, it's worth uh, a lot of points, but it's not really worth it because your friend, whoever you're playing against is going to be way better than the actual game's AI. So the monsters sometimes just get in these loops or patterns where they just follow the maze over and over and over doing the same thing. But your friend will not do that. Your friend will sneak up and you will have to worry about where they are. Plus where the monsters are, but uh, it 
does add an entire, it makes it a, a, a whole new game and it makes it super, super fun. I highly recommend if you can to play this with two players. Um, another thing that I found is you have to be careful of long shots. So take, for example, uh, a level where the entire top part of the maze is open from the left hand side to the right hand side. If you're in the corner and you shoot, you can't shoot a second time until your bullet disappears. Now you can shoot the enemy's bullets. So if a bullets are, if they're shooting at you, you can shoot back and destroy their bullets, but they're going to keep shooting at you. But if you shoot and they go off that hallway, you have to wait till your bullet goes all the way across before you can shoot again. So if a monster's coming up behind you or next to you or something like that, that's no good. So you can't just stand in one spot and sit there and fire over and over and over. It's, it's not a good technique. Um, let's see what else. I, I did find that when things got going fast, um, not necessarily standing in the corner, but standing in a hallway that where you could only be attacked from two directions was a pretty good idea because they would, you know, come down from the left or the right and you have enough time to turn and shoot. That's also a good way to defeat the Mothman, <laughs> as I call him, and the Wizard of War. Now, you have to be careful about that Mothman again because he's trying to escape. And so if you stand in one place especially far away from the middle where those pathways are, which turn out to be exits for him, he will make it out there and it won't come to you. So, uh, so that's no good. The score in the manual, uh, Burr Wars, which again are the blue ones that are the most uh, prevalent. Those are a hundred points. Gar Wars, the yellow ones are 200 and Thor Wars. The red ones are 500 warlock. The Mothman is 1000 points. Your opponent warrior is also a thousand points. So you get a thousand points for shooting your friend in the back. That should not be rewarded behavior, but it is. And finally, the Wizard of War is worth 2,500 points. The Wizard of War moves very fast throughout the maze, so you have to really be ready when he appears. Uh, you get extra men after level three. And you get one at level 13, but that is it, I believe. So you're not going to build up a whole bunch of extra men in this game. And now, and this is a, just a random fact here, but on levels one through seven, you are known as warriors, W-O-R-R -R again, warriors. And then after level seven, you graduate and you become warlords, W-O-R again, lords. Uh, it means nothing in the game, but it's just uh, you know a title that is bestowed on you. By the way, if you can become a warlord in this game, you're doing pretty good. Getting a level eight is uh, uh, pretty good. I looked online for high scores for this game. RetroComputerScene.com on the Commodore 64 version has a high score listed of... No, uh, yes, of uh, 347,000, but I did find on the C64 wiki a list of 671,500 points, which is unbelievable, especially if that's a one-player you know, I could see that with two player. Uh, I mean, that would be a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of levels, but with two player, if you have a good system worked out with your friend where you're covering different parts of the maze and stuff, I mean, maybe that's possible, but by one player by himself uh, or herself, I don't know how that's possible, but it must be now. Let's get into a little bit of trivia about this game. This is a feature I have not talked about yet on this game. It is mentioned in the manual that this game, Wizard of War, it says it will speak to you with the Commodore Magic Voice Speech Module. Now, what the heck 
is the Commodore Magic Voice Speech Module. Well, it was a thing that they sold. It was a speech module that provided magic voice to your Commodore 64. You would plug it in to the Commodore 64, and the it was literally uh, analog pass-through. You would take the audio out from your Commodore 64 and run it into this cartridge, and then it had another RCA cable or RCA jack that you would run the audio out to, you know, your either your monitor or your speakers, however you have your audio set up. So, Uh, The game is still doing the same audio. The cartridge is providing the speech, and then it is analog manually mixing those two signals and sending it out to your final destination. Uh, This game is interesting because it was released before the Commodore Magic Voice speech module, so they must have had some sort of uh, beta version of the cartridge before anybody else had it to to program. Now, if you've ever messed around with the Magic Voice cartridge, uh, it's pretty limiting. It has a, a list of vocabulary, I think, of just over 230, maybe 235 words that you could trigger, but they say there's a way to upload your own words or something to it, but I don't know that anybody's figured out how to do that. Uh, I watched... I got all this information about the magic speech from uh, Robin Harbin, who does the 8-Bit Show and Tell YouTube video series. And uh, so all credit to Robin. And Robin is one of the smartest Commodore guys I know. And if he says he doesn't know how to upload speech to this thing, then I have to think that it must be pretty complicated. But again, this was a cartridge. It plugged into your cartridge port. You ran audio in. You ran audio out. Um, Now... There's a few interesting things about this. Number one, the arcade version of Wizard of War is probably one of the things it's best known for is the speech. And this version of Wizard of War is really good, but it doesn't have the speech without the magic voice cartridge. But when you plug that in, it adds the speech and it's almost arcade perfect. I mean, it's so, so good. Um, But... There's so few programs that use that magic voice module, and it's really kind of limited in what it could do that not very many people have them. So uh, Robin found a hacked version that has the speech put into it that it will play the voice samples without needing the magic voice cartridge. I'm not going to tell you (laughs) the name of the group that released it or the link. Uh, If you want to find that, Go over to Robin Harbin's 8-Bit Show and Tell YouTube video series uh, and search for his episode on Magic Voice. I don't want to steal links right out of his video. So uh, you can go watch that. It's If you're into Commodore stuff, it's interesting to watch anyway. And uh, you can see or you'll be able to hear Wizard of War and Gorf being played with those audio samples. And uh, if you look down or if you watch the video, you will find another version that has been released that has the audio samples put back in. It's all software driven, no additional hardware needed. So that is pretty cool. And that's maybe the, the final version of uh, wizard of war. I mean, that, that would be the, the, the best version to own on the Commodore 64. I didn't find a lot of old magazine reviews because I think there weren't a lot of Commodore magazines, right? <laughs> when it was released, uh, lemon 64, the um, average review is, uh, or average rating is 8.4, which is, 
which is pretty amazing. That's pretty high for a game that was released, you know, in the Commodore's first year, the first year of their library. It holds up, you know, and there's not a lot of people that say it's a terrible game. It is still fun today. Uh, the arcade version of Wizard of War was ported to a lot of things that was released again in the arcade in 1980. In 1982, that's when we got the Atari 2600 version and the Bally Astrocade version, which I've seen streamed online. I think uh, the uh, Amigo Aaron, I think, streamed that version, and it is probably the best game on the Bally Astrocade. I mean, the best-looking game. It is nearly arcade-perfect. Uh, 1983, there's Atari 5200 and Atari 8-bit versions that were released as well. Now, let's talk a little bit about the trivia question that I mentioned at the very beginning of the show. I am not an expert on the Commodore Max. I don't know very much about the Commodore Max, but the Commodore Max is a Commodore computer that was released in Japan between the VIC-20, and the Commodore 64. And it contains features from both machines, I guess is the easiest way to say it. It has the graphic and sound capability of the Commodore 64, but on the back, it's lacking most of the major ports. There is no place to plug in a disk drive, for example. Uh, it's you know looking for cartridges mostly. And so... It, uh, it didn't go over. And I think they were trying to hit this market between the VIC-20, and again, it was right before the Commodore 64 was released, but there didn't need to be a market between those machines. That, that was the step. We didn't need a half step between those two machines. And so when the Commodore Max was released, they released an official version for uh, just for the Max, of Wizard of War. It's on cartridge. On my stream last week, if you go out to my stream, I played this version because they they have it for the Commodore 64. Uh, it's not good. <laughs> it's really not good. The graphics are not good. They're not, they don't look like the arcade game. The characters are not animated. So your, your warrior just kind of floats around with his legs doing the splits. Uh, the, it's really fast. It's really hard. Uh, the, the enemies don't look like the enemies in the arcade game. It's just not a good port. It looks like something that was programmed by someone who maybe this was their first game that they made for a Commodore computer. I'm glad that Commodore decided to go back and re port wizard of war for the Commodore 64. The version that we got on the 64 is fantastic. There's, there's just, not that much to complain about. Uh, so you can play the version for the Commodore Max. They have that on the C64. Uh, you can also play the C64 version. So um, there have been many updated versions of Wizard of War. There are lots of uh, compilations for other consoles that have included Wizard of War. One of the most unique ones I found was one called Bomber Warriors of War. And Bomber Warriors of War is some sort of weird homebrew version of Wizard of War that uses the Nintendo Wii. I mean, this is a homebrew game that supports up to eight players in the maze where you can everybody could chase each other. It's a very interesting 
version. I've I've not been able to find video footage of it, and it looks like once you download it, you have to compile it. I don't even know how to run it yet. Uh, but that that was one of the most unique ones. The other one I want to mention was released in 2021 for the Commodore 64. This is the other game that I played on my stream this week, and it's called Pack War. W O R again, and Pack War is a combination of Pac Man and Wizard of War. The maze is Wizard of War, and the enemies are the monsters from Wizard of War, but you, instead of being a warrior with a rifle, are (laughs) Pac-Man, and the maze is filled with dots, and so the game becomes trying to eat all the dots to clear the levels. There's also one power pellet. There's only one. So, uh, And when you get it, the monsters don't stay... They all turn blue, just like in Pac-Man, but they don't stay converted very long. They don't stay edible uh, very long. And when they turn back, it's very quick. So I played half a dozen games of it while I was streaming, and I think I got to level two once or twice. Uh, So it's definitely challenging, but it was a lot of fun and uh, kind of a kooky mashup of two different games. Uh, Definitely, definitely. I mean, the cost of admission, it's free. So (laughs) it was definitely worth that and fun to play. If you would like to own Wizard of War on cartridge, good news for you. Uh, These cartridges are going to last forever, it seems like. Uh, You could find loose versions of this for, I found one on eBay right now, that or uh, these are ones that sold. I found one for $27. I found one for $35. Uh, So not terribly cheap. I found another loose cart for $50 uh, that has the manual. So I have, uh, just mine's just a loose cartridge, the one that I own, and I'll talk about that uh, in just a moment. If you want that magic speech module to go with it, that's going to set you back probably another 100. I seem to find those on eBay for around 100, some a little less with more shipping, but that seems to be about the going rate. I don't know that I can recommend purchasing the Magic Voice Speech module. It has it offers so little. <laughs> there are very few titles that work with it. I think you could count the titles on one hand. And with without being able to build your own vocabulary, you have to use the characters and the and the words that are built into its library. So without being able to expand on that, it's really uh, pretty limited. I would say if you want to dabble in that, go download Sam, the speech automated mouth, I think is what that stood for. Sam was a lot of fun to play with. Uh, you can make it say or do anything you wanted and it was free. So, uh, yeah, I would probably recommend that before doing the magic, uh, voice module. Now let's get into my memories of wizard of war. first memory of Wizard of War is playing this game with my buddy Jeff. My buddy Jeff, I've talked about him on so many episodes, and Jeff had this cartridge. He had a Wizard of War cartridge. He had several cartridges. Uh, He had, um, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, I know he had one of the James Bond games. Uh, I think he had, I know he had Dig Dug um, I'm not sure what other games that he had, but he had several cartridges. I I was not really 
the only cartridges I had were the utility type cartridges, you know, fast load and, and, um, ice pick and things like that. But when I met Jeff, he had some of these cartridges and he had wizard of war. And so that's one of the first games that I ever remember playing with Jeff. Um, I had played PC games before the Commodore 64 and I'd played Apple II games, but on none of those had I played games I'm trying to think I don't know that I've ever that I had played at that point other two player games and I definitely never played a game with two joysticks. So this was one of the first games that uh, he and I ever played where each player had their own joystick. And it just made it feel a lot more like an arcade game. So that that's really one of my big takeaway memories. Now, again, uh, this game has uh, similarities to Mario Brothers. It has similarities to Joust. And again, as I talked about earlier in the show, it's that ability to accidentally kill your friend. <laughs> and I remember the two of us doing that. But uh, Jeff is relentless. And so, you know, if I would accidentally shoot him one time he would give me the benefit of the doubt and then the second time it was all out war and jeff would would not stop (laughs) he would take me to task and he would just shoot me over and over and over and over until i was done playing um so now uh one thing i will say is that the cartridge that i own i believe is jeff's original cartridge when he got rid of his Commodore 64 stuff. I believe I inherited that cartridge from him and that same cartridge still works. And he had a Commodore 64 for a, a couple of years before me, uh, before we met and he had that cartridge and it still works. So again, uh, this goes back to that little statement in the manual about these things, uh, working, you know, or being reliable and, and, and not, uh, uh, you know, degrading or whatever. That's all true. (laughs) That game still works. The cartridge, I played it this week and it still works. So I do have a lot of good memories of playing this. Uh, Again, it's a a fun game for one player, but with two players, it just really comes alive. For graphics, I give this game 5 out of 5 wizards. It looks so close to the arcade game, I have no complaints at all. For music, I give it 4 out of 5 wizards. I didn't really talk about the music, but we have this, uh, the notes uh, that begin each level, and uh, it's just like the arcade game. It's just great. Uh, the sound effects, again, I give it 4 out of 5 wizards. It has uh, all the sounds. It, it's uh, fantastic. Overall gameplay, I do give it 4 out of 5 wizards. Uh, it is a, a fun game. Again, it's fun with one player. It's better with two players. It's challenging. It seems like it's going to be simple, and by the third or fourth level, you're convinced it's not going to be simple. Just a fun, fast arcade conversion for the Commodore 64 that has held up over time. Thanks again for tuning in to Sprite Castle. As always, if you have feedback about this or any episode of the show, you can email me directly at Rob O'Hara at robohara.com. Join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash robcasts. Follow me on Twitter at Commodore. Come chat with me on the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord or leave a message on the podcast hotline, which is area code 405-486-YDKF. All Patreons of my shows get behind-the-scenes blog posts, weekly videos, access to the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server, and other additional perks. 
To find out more, visit patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara. Spridecastle is available from iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, the RSS feed at podcast.robohara.com, and through the official Amigos podcast feed at anchor.fm forward slash Amigos podcast. To hear more podcasts from me, like You Don't Know Flack, Cactus Flax, Throwback Reviews, and Multiple Sadness, visit podcast.robohara.com for links to these shows. Many of the news articles and game details for Sprite Castle come from websites such as Commodore News, Indie Retro News, Vintage is the New Old, the Commodore Scene Database, Lemon64, and Moby Games. Thanks again for listening. Now get back to warring with wizards, and we'll see you here next time on Sprite Castle. And finally, a very special shout-out to all my Patreon supporters. For January 2022, this includes my 8-bit supporters, Alan Hennessy, Alan Hudgens, Armadon Restel, Brian Barr, Carrie Clanton, Chris Albright, Chris Folds, C-Dubs, Cowbird Boy, Dan Paradroid Heavey, Dave Velociraptor, David Hearn, David Modelak, Eric Strayanisi, Garrett Allier, Gary Heather, Graham W. Vebke, Hacker Radio, Jake Nonamaker, Jason Warns, John Bodokar Schaller, John Treholt, Jose Cazada, Joshua Eckroth, Mark Alley, Mike McLaughlin, Mitsuyama, Mr. Bundy, Mr. Wacky, Nathan Dagenhart, Olav Hope, Patrick Markey, Rad Max, Rydar and Christopher Bow, Retro Trace, Rick Reynolds, Robot Doctor 82, Roy Jacobs, Scooter Prime, Scott Lambert, Scott Meredith, Scrap Arcade, Stephen Burt, Steve Rasmussen, The Slow Norris, Travis Gossie, Zeke Pavsky, Zerfall, and the mysterious Cobra Kai. Extra special thanks to my 16-bit supporters, Bill Spear, Boatshead Tavern BBS, Dan Creek, Dave Zilly, Edward Smith, John Morrison, Matt Nicholson, Matt Smith, Scott Von Drasick, Steve Sharippa, and Vintage Volts. To hear more pie, cut. Oh my gosh.